stand, please, for the reading of God's word. Amen. Good morning, church. We're going to be reading 1 Timothy 4, 6 to 16. Let's give reverence to the word of God. And it says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained, but refused profane and old wise fable, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the brethren, of the believers, in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, which with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continuing them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Bibles and turn to First Timothy, chapter number 4, please. As we continue our series in Timothy, living out love in the local church. That we would know how to behave ourselves in the house of God, as Paul writes to Timothy. And today... One of my favorite passages in 1 Timothy about exercise. So today we're going to talk about how bodily exercise profiteth little. So let's just look at that scripture. Let's read verses four, uh, verses 7 and 8 in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. As our message today is exercise yourself to godliness. And let's read this together. As we begin, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. Let's pray. So, Lord, we look unto You today. We ask You to come down and come into our hearts and speak to us and convict us. Lord, there is much unconquered territory in each of our natures. So come today with Your loving scourge, that scourge of love with which You cleanse the temple there in Jerusalem and cleanse our temple, Lord, but do it in love that we might live for You and that we might live a godly life, 
a godly life of purity and holiness, even as Paul writes to Timothy that we would live it according to your word in true conversation by the power of your spirit in faith and in purity. So bless us now today and teach us to exercise ourselves to godliness in this life that we have in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, exercise yourself to godliness. A lot of exercise going on today, but not as much exercising to godliness as there is bodily exercise. Don't you agree with that? People are crying out for help today. I read this week, there was an article, and it was in all mainline newspapers because the CDC put it out. The headline, even in the New York Times, was teenagers are crying out for help. In record number, teen girls report record levels of sadness. And then the underheadline said, adolescent girls reported high rates of sadness, suicidal thoughts, as do teenagers who identify as gay or bisexual. So people are sad and suicidal. Young girls especially. The smartphones aren't helping. All of the talk of the, of the LGBTQ and transgenderism isn't helping. People are getting sadder. There's more suicide and more attempts of suicide. Who would agree? Who would agree with this? Growing up is hard. <laughs> Growing up is hard. For a boy to grow into a man, it's difficult. For a girl to grow into a woman, it's a challenge. Because all of the changes that we go through during that period of time they call adolescence, it's not easy to understand ourselves and the world we're in. But you know what? God made us for this challenge. God made a girl to grow into a woman and a boy to grow into a man. He made us for that. We need to exercise ourselves to godliness to get through it successfully. But God didn't make us. God doesn't make a boy to grow up into a woman. He didn't make us for that challenge. He didn't make us for the challenge for a girl to grow up into a man. But this is what is being promoted in our culture, sad to say. Beloved, we need to exercise ourselves to godliness. And we know exercise isn't a one-time event. So, I mean, if you want to lose weight, you don't say, man, I need to go to the gym because I've got to lose some weight. So you don't go to the gym one time and then get back and say, I'm still fat. You know, I didn't lose any weight. You don't do that after one time. You gotta, you gotta exercise. You gotta do, stick to it for a while and be consistent at it. So, I challenge all of us today to exercise ourselves unto godliness. You guys know who this is, right? One of, no doubt, the greatest basketball players today and in, in this generation, Steph Curry. How did, he, how did he develop his jump shot that is truly incredible? How he could get that ball and just instantly just fire it up there 
How did he do that? Practice, practice, practice. Through exercise. Repetitious, boring practice. Shot after shot. He didn't just, he didn't just take five shots and develop that, right? He had to do it. He t- he's taken thousands and thousands of shots. And believe, don't you think that's boring for him at times? And the repetition of it? But that is what is required in order to perfect that task. They called him the GOAT, the greatest of all time, at one, perhaps the most difficult position of any sport, being a quarterback in the NFL. But Tom Brady became great because he practiced so, his throws so that... So my coach told me one time when I was playing basketball and I made a mistake... I said, but coach, I thought, and he said, don't think. That's what he told me, don't think. In other words, practice so much, you don't have to think about the right thing to do. It's instinct. And that's what practice does. So exercise is profitable. Nobody would doubt that. I mean, athletes have to exercise in order to to become great. And they get a lot of fame and fortune through their greatness, don't they? So there's a lot of motivation for them to exercise. But exercise bears results for all of us. It improves our strength, coordination, develops muscle, perfects skills. Exercise has benefits for our cardiovascular, weight loss, better health, sleep better, longer life. Exercise is good. but not as good as exercising to godliness. That's the point here. Now, I, I believe in exercise. Since I was a kid, I want to give you a few, show you my life here, a little bit of my life. That's actually when I was in high school. I was a long-distance runner. Could run a pretty good two-mile cross-country. I've always liked to exercise. From when I was young, I played little league sports and midget football and and recreational basketball and three sports in high school. And even when I was in college, I was a scrapper, but I would block a guy's shot every now and then. This was in college. That's a pretty good form there, right? That is me. I was blocking the dude's shot. Okay, that's enough of that. But we need to exercise ourselves to godliness. It's so much more important. So what do I mean by godliness? Godliness is the awareness of Jesus Christ in all that I do. To live a godly life, I have to know that I live in Him and He lives in me. And I'm walking with Him and I'm living before Him. I'm living in His presence. An awareness of Jesus Christ in everything that I do. And then trusting His power to be lived in me and through me. That's a definition of godliness. I'm sure there are others, but... That's at least what I mean this morning when we say exercise yourself to godliness. So exercise yourself in the spiritual sense so that you are aware of Jesus Christ in every, every situation you're in, wherever you are, wherever you're going, whatever your task, and you need His power in you, in you and through you in order to have true success in your situation. We need Jesus. And exercising ourselves to godliness builds spiritual strength. It results in Christ-like character. 
And we need His character in our life, don't we? Don't we need Jesus Christ's character? We need that Christ-like character. We need to, to exercise ourselves into godliness so we grow in grace. So we find His strength. So we please Him in every situation. So we overcome temptation. You can exercise and shoot baskets all you want, but if there's a temptation, that's not going to help you over, overcome the temptation. You, you, can, you can become a great athlete and you can be the greatest quarterback of all time, but that doesn't mean you're going to have a good marriage. It might even end up getting in divorce, as Mr. Brady experienced in the past few years of his, of his football career. Very sad. So we need Christ-like character to overcome the trials of life and exercise... And here's a blank in your notes. I think I skipped this. But exercise results in the conquering of a task through discipline. The conquering of a task. That's actually the first blank for those of you taking notes. And the outline, there is an outline. And we welcome anyone visiting today for the first time. We do have some first-time guests. We welcome you. But there is an outline of the message on pages 9 and following there. So the first blank is exercise results in the conquering of a task through discipline. So, so that's what physical exercise does. But that's what exercising ourselves to godliness does. So that we, we just react in a way with Christ in us, our hope of glory, and we at, react to our situation aware that Jesus is with me and in me and I want to please Him in this situation. So I want to look at this passage today exercising yourself to godliness. There's two main points I want us to see. As we seek to grow spiritually, we need to have the mindset of an athlete. Because he says exercise. That is a term straight out of the athletic arena. We get our word gymnasium even from the Greek word. And so exercise ourselves to godliness. So we need to have the mindset the mentality of an athlete in order to exercise ourselves to godliness. And we're going to look at two main points this morning. First of all, will be the basics and then the blessings. So first of all, the basics in exercising ourselves to godliness and then the blessings. So the basics are in verses 6 and 7. So there's gyms all over the place. There are a lot more people in gyms this morning in Manhattan probably than in church. People see the value of exercise. But we need to see the greater value of exercising ourselves to godliness because there are great blessings. But first, let's look at the basics in this. There's three basics we want to see. The first basic is nutrition. If you're going to exercise, you need to have the right nutrition in your body so that so that, that food can be turned into, into muscle, and, and so forth. So nutrition is an important part of our life as well. But when we exercise ourselves to godliness, I'm not just talking about physical nutrition, I'm talking about our spiritual nutrition. And that's actually what Paul tells Timothy in verse number 6. Before you exercise yourself into godliness, you need to put the right spiritual nutrition into your life. And look at that verse. It says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up. There's the the idea of nutrition. Nourished up in what? The words of faith and 
of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. So if we're going to exercise ourselves to live a godly life, we need to start with the right nutrition. What's the right nutrition? The Word of God. And he puts it there in two ways. The words and, and of the faith. Remember last week we talked about the faith? And well, there's that definite article before faith there. The words of the faith. Literally in the original language. And then he says the words of the good doctrine. I believe that the, the, these words of the faith and the words of the good doctrine can be boiled down to the person and work of Jesus Christ and the Gospel. The glorious Gospel. Paul talks about even in 1 Timothy 1 verse 11. He uses that term. The glorious Gospel. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 11. Of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Think of that. The words of the faith. And he just mentioned in verse 6, what did he mention back in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6? What did he say there? It's that all this is sanctified by the Word of God. So we just talked about the Word of God in verse 6. Or verse, I'm sorry, verse 5. And then verse 6, he, he references again the Word of God, but here he calls it the words of the faith and of good doctrine. And I believe that that focuses us in on the gospel. Remember back in chapter three, verse sixteen. What were the words of what were the words of the faith there? That was the the solving of the mystery of godliness. I did a message there on the mystery of godliness solved in the person and work of Jesus Christ. First Timothy three sixteen. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And he spoke of Jesus Christ. How He is the great God manifest in the flesh. Is He not? Jesus Christ. How He was born into this world, but not like us. He was born through a virgin. He was born not like us. We were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. He was born sinless. And then He lived a perfectly holy and sinless life. He is God manifest in the flesh. Fully God, yet perfect man. Jesus Christ. And as He lived His life, He lived a perfect life of holiness. He never did anything wrong to displease His Father. He is godliness manifest in the flesh as God. He showed us true godliness. And so that's what we're talking about. How to exercise ourselves to godliness. We need to get into the Word of God and see Jesus Christ and how He came. The Bible says He knew no sin. God made Him who knew no sin to be made sin for us. For all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way. For all of us have sinned and, you know the verse, come short of the glory of God. So, Jesus Christ came as God manifest in the flesh. And when He was nailed to the cross, all your sins and mine and the sins of the world were nailed to the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. 
And He once suffered for sins. The just for the unjust. He's the just one, the righteous one. We're the unjust, the unrighteous one. He suffered for us. God showed His love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And He could do that because in Him is no sin. And that's why He could take our sins in His body and have them nailed to the cross in Himself. And that's why He could die for us when He took our sins. And He died. Think of that. God manifest in the flesh. Died. <laughs> this is the great mystery of godliness. Because man would never, could never consider such a plan. But this was the plan of God. That Jesus would come, bear our sins, die, and then miraculously, you know it, on the third day, He rose again bodily from the grave in order to justify us, make us righteous before God. So when we believe in Jesus Christ, when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ from our hearts, we can say we are what? We are saved. We are justified. We are born again. The Holy Spirit comes in us. We're adopted into the family of God. And once we are saved, and we have the Holy Spirit living us in us, the Bible says also, you know what we are in Christ? The moment we are saved, we are sanctified. That is, we are set apart by God and sanctified in His sight. How come? Because two things happen when we believe in Jesus. All my sins, in that sense, were downloaded onto Christ. So I'm forgiven. I have no sins to pay for. And then all of His righteousness was downloaded or imputed unto me. And what a gracious transaction. And so I'm forgiven because He's taken my sins. And I'm made righteous because I have the righteousness of Christ. And I'm saved by His grace. And because I've been sanctified, God calls us saints. We're saints in Jesus Christ. We're loved by Jesus Christ. We're the called and the elect through Jesus Christ. And I don't understand it all, but that's what our Bible tells us. And the Bible says because we have this holy standing in His sight, now we want to please Him. We want to live by His grace. And His wounds of love that He bore for me on the cross sway me. They sway me. They move me. They, they motivate me now to want to live for Him. To love Him. To serve Him. Oh, the wounds of Jesus Christ. The sufferings that He endured for us. And all that He gives to us in saving us. Give me a desire to walk in the Spirit. They sway me to want to please Him now and not myself. See, I bear His resemblance. I'm in His family. So are you if you're saved. So throughout our life, then, we grow in our sanctification. We're sanctified positionally when we're saved, but then we grow in that sanctification throughout our life. In other words, we, are, we grow in conformity to Jesus. We want to be like Jesus now. And that requires the exercise unto godliness. That's what we're talking about. That growing into Christ. That exercising ourselves into godliness. And here's the blessed thing, beloved. If this isn't all blessed, what I've already said. But when this life is over, and when we breathe our last, 
we're not just going to be justified from the penalty of sin. And we're not just going to be sanctified from the power of sin. But we will be glorified from the very presence of sin for all eternity in the presence of God, giving Him praise. And that's why it's important for us to exercise ourselves in godliness today. And I'm going to show you that what goes on now is going to affect our eternity. Paul tells us so. So this is the mystery of godliness solved by Jesus Christ. And now we can become godly. And this is the message that has been preached to the nations, 1 Timothy 3.16, right? Christ was justified by the Spirit. That is, he, that He was the Son of God was confirmed by the Holy, by the Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy 3.16 He was seen of angels. And He was preached on to the, to the nations. And He was believed on in the world. And He was received up into glory. And these are the words of the faith. Everything that I've just said is the, the, the essence of the Gospel, I believe. These are the words of the faith of the Word of God, the good doctrine of Jesus Christ. And 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to these wholesome words, the words of the faith, the words of Jesus Christ, the words of, of the sound doctrine of teachings from the Bible, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the, the doctrine which is according to godliness. There's that word godliness. Paul features this word in Timothy. So Christ shows us the mystery of godliness. We're to exercise ourselves to godliness. Now we're in chapter 6. He uses this word again. He said, if anybody doesn't teach... Go to that verse, by the way, and I'm going to ask you a question. Verse 4 says, if they teach, but they do not teach according to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, what are they? That's my question. According to verse 4, what are they if they do not teach according to the doctrines of godliness in Jesus Christ? What are they? They're proud. It says they're proud. And what do they know? What do they know? With all their degrees, with all of their education behind them, what do they know? What, what church? You've got to see it for yourself. Don't believe it because I'm saying it. You believe it. It says they're proud. They don't know anything. And that's what was going on in Ephesus. Now, the, the teaching going on in Ephesus was what was going on there. But really, what's going on here is what's going on here. And in principle, it's the same thing. It's the teachings of pride of people who don't know Jesus Christ and who think they know everything but they're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And the teaching going on in our society will not lead a person to godliness. It will lead them to sadness and suicide. As was reported this week by the CDC. So that's the first thing. We need the right nutrition. And then kind of jumping right on to this, go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. It says, built up, nourished up in the words of faith. That's the right nutrition. And then the first part of verse 7 is our second basic of exercising ourselves. We need the right nutrition, but then we must make the right rejection of things. And he says, refuse. 
There's some things we have to refuse. And this is the, the teachings that are proud by them who know nothing. It's the same. It's really the, the, the same group he's talking about in chapter 6 and also chapter 4, where he said last week, we looked at it, they were, they're teaching doctrines of demons, lies and hypocrisy. We went through it last week. And here he says, but refuse profane and old wives' fables. So we need to say no to these harmful distractions, these dangerous doctrines of demons that are only going to deceive. And notice the different language here where he says, exercise yourself to godliness. In other words, there's a life, there's a commitment here, but the doctrines of demons was in verse 3. What what, what could they do when they'll be spiritual? Quick fix salvation quick fix spirituality. And so does the woke ideology of our culture. Quick fix. Just lower your carbon emissions. Save the planet. And you'll be saved. You know? Something like that. But for Paul's day it was forbidding to marry. Commanding to abstain from meats. In other words, quick fix spirituality. Paul says there's not a quick fix spirituality. It's exercising yourself to godliness if you really want to live out that godly life. And let me be clear, salvation happens in a moment. Being saved, being justified, being born again happens, boom, the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But then to to live out that salvation takes a life. So we need to reject the godless distractions. When he says here, Profane, that means worldly, that means godless. Profane means teachings without God. And then he says, old wise fables. I'm going to just stick on that word fables. That's the idea of myths, things that are not true. Now compare the, their profane fables, their godless myths versus the word of God and the words of truth. The Word of God, the doctrine which is according to Godliness. Paul's comparing. Nourish yourself up in the words of, of God and the doctrine of truth. And reject these fables, these godless myths that are going to do nothing but distract you. Sad to say this is what's being taught in so much of our education. From kindergarten right up through graduate levels of some of our most famous colleges in the United States. This woke thinking, which is really just a new religion of our culture. It's a cultural religion. It is warped thinking. It is, it is wicked. It is useless prattle. It's empty drivel. These are the words that I put up on the screen. Where those who are proud and know nothing are trying to teach people how to live. I say, let's go back to the Word of God. Our culture has sadly cast out God's Word. We need to get back to the words of faith and of good doctrine. So, there must be a nutrition, there must be a rejection. The third basic is there must be a determination, a spiritual regimen, a consistent daily practice, spiritual discipline. We need discipline. Okay, if you're going to live for Jesus Christ, it's not going to happen naturally. It's going to take the supernatural work of God in your heart through His Word by His Spirit. Amen? 
I'm talking about something that requires the supernatural because we're sinners. And we ourselves are proud. And we will easily embrace the, the pride of our culture because we're sinners. We need a supernatural work to change our mind, to transform our thinking. And then to live a, a life of discipline and consistency. And I just put it this way. And I think I thought of this myself years ago. And if you could think of a better acronym, go for it. But I tried to summarize the basic areas where we need to exercise, where we don't have to think. In other words, where it just becomes a practice of our lives. So every week, I'm going to do what when I get paid? I'm going to give. Happily give. That's the H. Now, I didn't put giving there first because I think it's the most important. It just fit with H. Okay. <laughs> happily. You know, God loves what kind of giver, huh? Cheerful giver. Okay, so we happily give. But every day I wake up, the natural thing you ought to do is grab your Bible and read the Bible every day. That should be like, you don't even think about it. I'm just going to do it. And yesterday I read Matthew chapter 1. Today I'm going to read Matthew chapter 2. And tomorrow I'll read Matthew chapter 3. If that's the way you want to do it. I'm saying, be consistent at it. Be consistent. And I think it's much better to read consistently or to have some kind of a Bible reading plan, whatever plan you want to follow. It's better to do that than just say, okay, Lord, what's going to read today? And then you read in Malachi chapter 1 and you're like, okay, uh, read. Where should I read? What do you want me to do today? Judas went and hanged himself. Okay, well, no, I don't want to do that. Okay, so I, I think it's better if you read systematically and consistently. But every day, read the Bible, and every week you're going to attend church. A, attend church regularly. Happily give. Attend church regularly. I mean, it's Sunday. I'm going to go to church. But if I'm sick, stay home. That's okay. But if somebody calls you and says, oh, you want to come over to our house? We're... No, I'm going to... I go to church on Sunday. That's it. I go to church on Sunday. I'm going to go fellowship with God's people and worship God. I'm going to put the Lord first in His church. Jesus said uh, that He loved the church and gave Himself for it. And I want to love the church like Jesus. Jesus said, I'll build my church. I want to help build the church like Jesus. So I want to attend church regularly. And I, as intercession and prayer, I'm going to pray every day. I know I don't have a lot of time, and I know I'm really busy today, but I, I got at least five minutes. Get on your knees and pray. And, and I've shared with you before a, a, a prayer book that I found really a blessing for me is that, that Puritan uh, prayer book called The Valley of Vision. I, I love that. I, I think I'm going through it on about the ninth time right now. And every day I try to pray through some of those prayers, and, and I'm still being blessed by it even up till this morning. There's scriptures, almost every line points to a scripture, and I've tried to put a scripture at the end of every line. And I go to those scriptures as well, and I pray over the Word. And, but spend time in prayer. And then T is tell others of Jesus. So get that, get that as a daily habit of your life. This is how we exercise ourselves to godliness, at least these things. I'm sure there are others. But we happily give, we attend church regularly, we Bible read, we intercede and pray, we tell others, and be a witness for Jesus Christ. That should be like, I don't even think about it. I'm going to put some tracks. I want to walk with tracks now. Have you ever forgotten the tracks? Okay, I have forgotten tracks. I'm like, 
get in a situation. Oh, man, where are the tracks? I don't have a track. Debbie, do you have a track? Debbie has a track. Not me. Okay. But remember the track. Give a track out when you go to the restaurant, when you uh, go into the store. Offer a track. You know what? I've, I've gone to the supermarket all these years. Every time I've offered the people a track at the supermarket, kept checking me out, no one's ever said, no, I don't want it. At that point, they, they do take it. Share the Word of God. You never know what's going to happen. So these are three things. These are the basics. The basics are nutrition, a rejection to shun the godless distractions, and a determination to develop godly habits. Now, the second thing, the main thing, is the blessings. There are blessings associated to exercising yourself to godliness. Go back, please, to our passage. And this is really the key verse of this passage, I believe, verse 8, where Paul says, but rather exercise yourself unto godliness at the end of verse 7. And then he carries it over into verse 8. And he says, for bodily exercise profiteth little. Now just think about that. We know exercise has profit. But in light of what's really important, it only has a little profit in comparison. And then he says, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Having promise. Underline that word. Having promise of the life that now is. So there is a promise associated with exercising yourself to godliness. Both now and later on. Which makes exercising to godliness much more valuable than physical exercise. So we'll mention that in a moment. And then he says, the life that now is, and of that which is to come. Now that is an amazing verse. You've you got to think about that verse a little bit. And meditate on it. I, I did. I tried this week. And here's some of the main thoughts that I gleaned from that verse. The first main thought I gleaned from that verse, from the first part, is that exercising ourselves to godliness puts the right value on this life and the next life. So godliness helps me to see this life in its, in its right pers proper perspective. So I have the right perspective. I have the right balance. Godliness puts my life into balance. I don't want to overvalue this present life, and I don't want to undervalue it. I want to have the right value of this world. And what he's saying here, I believe godliness is profitable unto all things because it helps me not to overvalue the present and not to undervalue the eternal. Because he talks about the present, the now, in verse 8, having promise of the life that now is. So he's talking, he talks about now, but then he says, and of that which is to come. So he's not saying we work our way to heaven. We don't believe that. We're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. But once I'm saved, as I said, I want to grow into Christ-likeness. And you're not going to grow into christ like You say, okay, I've been saved. You're not going to become more like Jesus Christ by just hanging out at home and, and watching Star Wars movies and playing video games. Okay? 
and, and looking at TikTok videos and scrolling through social media. That's not going to make you a godly person. It will actually cause you to be depressed because you're not centering your life in Jesus. Jesus is joy. Centering your life in Christ will actually bring you joy in life. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to have social media. I'm not saying that either. But balance. See, godliness helps me. And it, it is far more difficult to balance our lives today. You agree with this? With all of the, the things we can do. With all of the distractions we have. With the things that I just mentioned. Even more do we need to exercise ourselves to godliness so I can make the right decisions in my life so I don't get overly carried away with the things of this. You know, a lot of people get depressed when they don't get likes on their Facebook page. No, I'm serious. They, they, they're depressed. Nobody likes me. Okay, you're off balance. You have to go to Jesus and know that He loves you. It doesn't matter who, who likes you or who doesn't. Jesus loves you. And get your sense of love and identity and peace and joy from Him. You see? So I'm saying, godliness allows me to keep the true value, the proper perspective on what's now and what's eternal. Not to overvalue the present day, and not to undervalue the eternal. Because that's what our world does. Don't you agree with this? Our world puts all the value on this life, they overvalue this life, and they undervalue the life to come. I'll just give you this quick example. When DeMar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bill football player, had a cardiac arrest on the football field. Now, that's serious, and I'm not undervaluing that. His life, his physical life is important. But just think of how everything stopped in the world because of one person's physical life. So they, to me, they overvalue the physical life. Well, what about his soul? What about the soul of anyone? Does anyone in the media, do they ever say, oh, it's too bad that so-and-so died. I wonder if they were saved or not. I wonder where they went to spend eternity. I wonder if they're in hell. Our, our culture, our media, our educational establishment, they have no sense of the eternal like that. So they undervalue the eternal. We need to live a godly life to have true balance. Now, a, a second thing here that's very important is, and this gets more to the point, the, the point is, is that Godliness sweetens the promise of heaven. So I want to get more into that. And think about this. If you live a godly life, heaven will be nearer to you. Do you want to taste heaven? I got excited thinking about this. Have you ever tasted heaven? You have, right? If you know Jesus, I know you have. You've read the Word and you felt His presence so near. Or you've been in a church service and you felt the conviction of God come upon you. Or you were with other people and you just got together and the Lord led you to pray and you felt the Lord in that prayer meeting of two or three gathered together. And as we practice godliness, the promise of heaven is made sweeter. That's what He says here. Where He says, 
Exercise thyself unto godliness. Having promise of the life that now is. The life in Jesus Christ. The abundant life. We, what kind of promise do you have for this life? A life where you're going to go through life with Christ? Is that your promise? No. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life abundant. How? Through godliness. Jesus lived godly. And He said, I give you my joy. We have His joy. His peace I give to you. So as we live godly lives and practice that godliness and exercise ourselves to godliness, we experience the abundant life now. And you know what? It's like we get sometimes that taste of heaven. And when we get that taste of heaven, we, we, can, we, we look forward to going to heaven. Shouldn't we look forward to going to heaven? That's why Jesus died to save us too, right? He died to get us out of this world, to get us into heaven. This life is just a brief moment of time. It's, a, it's just the water spilled on the ground, a vapor into the air, and, and that's it. We're going to be in heaven forever! <laughs> we should look forward to it. And we won't, you won't look forward to heaven if you don't live a godly life. You'll be just thinking about, you know, the last, what, what you want to post on Twitter or what what shows coming or what game is happening you'll just be focused on the the things of this life but you know how to improve your life you know how to improve your life live a godly life taste heaven now live with that hope of heaven Live with the, the taste of heaven in your spirit and in your soul. And long for more of God. Long for more of the Spirit. Long for more of the Word of God. Long for more of God's power and love in your soul. Talk to God in honest and sincere prayer. Spend more time in the Word. Go to church more. I mean, if you don't come to prayer meeting, come to prayer meeting. We have a prayer meeting. It's important. We don't have prayer meeting just because we don't have any. We don't have anything else to do with our time. We're bored. No, it's we do it because we're because we're focused on the, what's truly important. A church praying together. So get a taste of heaven in your soul. The blessing of exercising yourself to godliness sweetens the promise of heaven. The practice of godliness, let me say it this way, leads us to experience the promise of heaven. The practice of godliness leads us to experience the promise. That's what he says, the promise. You see that word promise? Having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So that which is to come connects with what is now. Right? What's to come is heaven. Connected to now. A taste of it. That's what I'm saying. Godliness sweetens the promise of heaven. The second thing is that, and this will be quick and we'll be done, godliness then strengthens our resolve to serve Him and work. So once I taste heaven, then I'm willing to taste sweat. <laughs> once I, 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 I say, wow, I'm going to heaven through Jesus Christ, that this life is just a brief time, and then I'm going to go to heaven? I'm willing to suffer for the Lord now. And that's what he says in verse 10, the first part. He says, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach. <clears throat> so 
tasting heaven, living godliness, will then strengthen my resolve to serve Him. And thank God for our deacons. We, we preached about our deacons, and here's our deacons, and we're going to be voting on a f- few more deacons, and we'll tell you about that in our business meeting. But thank, I thank God for our deacons. They're wonderful servants. And I thank God for many of you. You know, our church is an amazing little church in this city. You might say, well, it's a little, yeah, we're a little church. Not many people, but important people. Every person you see is so very, very important. And you know what? Our, this church last year gave over half a million dollars. That's, that, that's in our budget. Isn't that amazing? I'm, I'm amazed at that. Because you know why? We do have dedicated people who love Jesus Christ and who are like full-time servants of the Lord. I thank God for our church. And thank God for the strength many people have to serve God. You know, one of our ladies today worked all night in the hospital. She came to church this morning and taught in Sunday school. She's going to go home after church today and she's going to sleep and then she's going to come to the radio tonight. I think she should stay home and sleep. If I were her, I would. But that's not... <laughs> But then she's going to go back to work all night. That's what I call dedication. That's a member of our church. Praise God. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to His working, which worketh in me mightily. And the last thing is, solidifies our hope of salvation. Let me just take a moment and then I'll be done. At verse 10, very beautiful verse, where he says, Because we trust in the living God. We trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men. Now remember, he used that expression, living God. This is the church of the living God. And this is the God whom we trust. We trust in the living God. And then he says, who is the Savior of all men? So again, that tells us who is Jesus. He is God, because Jesus is the Savior. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, and there's only one Savior, and He is God. Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. This verse teaches, as many do. So we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men. Now remember that phrase, all men. Our theme for this year is that we're to pray for all men. Chapter 2, 1 Timothy 2.1 Pray for all men. Why do we pray for all men? Because verse 4 says, God will have all men to be saved. 1 Timothy 2.4 All men. Pray for all men. Why? Because God will have all men to be saved. And now this verse says that He's the Savior of all men. So that's really amazing. I love that. Don't you love that? What does this mean? It means that all can potentially be saved. And if anyone is going to be saved, it will only be through Jesus Christ. He's the Savior. There's no other Savior. So, And all can potentially be saved, but only those who believe actually are saved. Because notice what he says at the end of verse 10. He says, who is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. So only those who believe are truly justified, born again of the Holy Spirit. What happened? I'm off Zoom. Okay. (laughs) But now wait. I want to focus on that word especially. Those that believe. 
That word especially demands that all men must enjoy to some degree what believers enjoy to the highest degree. Does that make sense to you? All men must enjoy to some degree what we as believers in Jesus Christ who are going to heaven to the fullness, to the highest degree. So in a sense that God gives as the Savior of all men, what does God give all men? He gives them life. He gives them breath. He gives them strength to work. There's plenty of unsaved people that are great plumbers. God gives them strength. God gives them understanding. God gives them a brain to figure out how to solve a plumbing problem. There's a lot of great brain surgeons. They're not Christians, but they're wonderful brain surgeons. In a sense, who gave them the wisdom and the ability to, to do brain surgery? God. So God is the Savior of all men in a temporal sense, giving all men life, levels of strength, provision, healing. Has, does God heal unsaved people? How many unsaved people got COVID and then they got better? Who healed them? God. So the idea of He's the Savior of all men means that He shows His goodness to the world. Paul said it back in, in Acts chapter 14. If you want to go there real quick, in Acts chapter 14, it says that God did not leave Himself without witness and that He did good and gave us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So God does that for all men. As the Savior of all men, to some degree, all men enjoy His great goodness. But only those who believe, especially those that believe, will enjoy His eternal life. So if there's anyone here without Jesus today, you have enjoyed the blessings of God. He's been good to you. He's given you life, breath, and strength. As I just said, He's provided food for you and He's given you a brain and a mind to work and to learn. But have you believed in Him? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if you don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you reject Him. And if you reject Him, He will reject you at the throne of God. And you will not enter the kingdom of God without Jesus Christ. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be saved. You must believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, was buried and rose again from the dead. And then in this special sense, especially... Those that believe, He will save you. And if you call upon Him, He will save you, dear friend. So exercise yourself to godliness. That's the message today. There are blessings in exercising ourselves to godness, godliness and the basics. And we looked at them today. And I hope that your desire is to exercise yourself to godliness. Let's stand together as we pray, as we close. As we sing a song, take time to be holy, which is a way that we exercise ourselves to godliness. Let's stand together in prayer with our heads bowed and eyes closed. How many would say, Pastor Matt, I am a Christian and I realize I need to exercise myself to live a godly life?
but I've not been living the Christian life the way I know I should and God's convicting me of it. Maybe it's you're not telling others of Christ. Maybe you're not reading the Bible. Maybe you're not praying. Maybe you're not faithful in church. But God has spoken to your heart. Maybe you're holding on to your money and not giving to the Lord with a cheerful heart. How many would say, Pastor Matt, I need to exercise myself to godliness. I want to live for Jesus and I want to become more like Him. Can I see your hand today? All over, all over. Praise God. As your hand is up before the Lord, make a matter of prayer what's in your heart right now. And maybe if there's a specific thing in your life and you want to pray about that, just step out of your seat and come forward. You can pray on that. And ask God to give you strength to exercise. Commit yourself. Be determined. Be determined. You can step out of your seat right now. Say, Lord, help me. You know, these basketball players, football players, they spend hours and hours and hours to perfect a particular task in order to win fame and fortune. But we have a greater task. We have a higher goal. And it's to please God and to enter heaven in fullness of joy and to receive His Word, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Have you been living in a way that He would say to you, well done, good and faithful servant? How many would say, Pastor Matt, I'm not sure I'm saved. I haven't believed in Christ. I haven't been justified or born again as we've spoken about. Is there anyone who say, Pastor Matt, pray for me. I need to be saved today. Is there anyone? Could I see your hand? I won't call you out, by the way. I would just want to pray for you. If you want somebody to talk to you, we're happy to have somebody talk and pray with you. And if you want, you could just step out and go to the, toward the back, not toward the front. Go to the back. Just step out and go to the back and somebody could meet you, take a Bible, and quietly share Scripture with you, pray with you, love you. We're here to love you. So Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your love now and Your goodness and all Your grace. Thank You, Jesus, that You are the ultimate godly one and we want to be like You. Forgive us where we fall short of Your glory. But we ask You to lift up We lift up the gates of our soul to You and we say, Lord, fill us. Fill our church with Your presence even now as we seek You. In Jesus' name, Amen. 